We just said, Lord, show me what moves you. He, he wants to show us what moves him, but first we have to get, he has to get our attention and, and get us in a place where he is free to reveal those things to us. Amen? And so again, Holy Spirit, thank you for helping me tonight. I pray that uh, I would not say one unnecessary word, but that everything that you want communicated would be communicated clearly and with your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen? So, I want to start with a little bit of a testimony. As Pastor Jonathan said, Pastor Mark and Tasha are teaching tonight in our Bible school, which has been so cool this year, because even though I wasn't able to go there for the first time in 11 years, um, they, we did finally start school, and as a result, our group there in Nepal has been able to get more exposure to different teachers than any other group because we've had to do it remotely. And so um, many people from this church and other churches have gotten to teach them. And I'm really praying. I'll tell you, Pastor Mark and Tasha are teaching on strong marriages and, and Christian family. And this is so necessary, a message in Nepal, because honestly, in, in cultures like that, the culture is not very Christian in regards to marriage. And so let's agree together that there'll be a good flow of God's word and, and um, we... We, get, we broadcast these so they go far beyond just our 22 students and in Nepali, so hallelujah. But over the last 22 years, it's been my privilege to get be working in Bible schools. And so the things I'm going to share now, I didn't know at the beginning, but I've learned by experience. There are two elements of a Bible school that are important. One, of course, is the Word of God. We all need the Word to grow. But the second that our school has always focused on was the moving of the Spirit. And so it is the Word and the Spirit together in my experience and in history's experience, which I'm going to share with you tonight, that creates and generates revival or movement. Revival is something that happens in the church. Revival is when the church wakes up, but um, Holy Spirit wakes the church up in order to impact people evangelize people and impact society and change the world. We are the light of the world. So revival is, it happens when something is dead or not breathing good. God will breathe life and generate revival so the church will move forward and be active in powerful in their movement. And so as one um, person taught me, and I believe it's true, the knowledge of righteousness and of faith will rapidly change nations. We, you are so blessed that you're in a church where you're learning the word of God about who we are in Christ and about God's plan, about his spirit that empowers us, his spirit of grace. And, and so not every church, especially not in the nations, has the privilege of knowing these things. And so, yes, the word is changing people, but it's more than the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who's the revealer of the word and the empowerer of the believer who, who generates that passion, that motivation, and that movement. There's plenty of people that have gone to Bible school or plenty of Bible schools where people learn the word. I met a pastor in Myanmar that had a whole bunch of church plants and a seminary. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, when people come to our church planting institute, they come all excited about reaching 
the unreached and starting a church. He said, after four years, they leave and they don't want to do that anymore. So my, our first thought is, well, maybe we, you better change what you're teaching. <laughs> if you're putting out fires instead of starting fires, it's probably not right. But that was a, well, I don't want to say denominations. <laughs> that was not a spirit-filled Bible school. And anyway, they are spirit-filled now, and they are teaching the moving of the spirit. But it's the generating power of the Holy Spirit that, that moves the church. The word is like seed, but the Holy Spirit is like water. Without water, a seed has potential, but it doesn't grow. The word is like the, the wood of the fire, but the Holy Spirit is the flame. And so a wood pile without any fire on it doesn't generate any heat. And so, yes, the word is first and foremost, but we need Holy Spirit, his movement with the word. I had an example of this last week when I taught in our school in Nepal. There are two guys there from India, and they are Baptist in that region of India. I'm going to share a little bit of history tonight with you. Um, and so there's a region of India, the Northeast region, that is primarily Baptist and primarily Christian. It's the only part of India that's not Hindu. And so these guys came from India to Nepal to go to the Bible school, and I was asking them for their testimonies, and the one said, how, can, how did he put it? He's like, we were talking about how you respond to change. He said, well, I don't really like change when I first am a, uh, come across it, but if somebody can prove to me that there's a reason for the change, then I'm all for it. He said, like coming to this Bible school, like I wasn't too sure about this charismatic stuff at all. And when I first came here, I was kind of shocked and thinking like, I don't know if I believe this. But he said, after it was all laid out in the word and I saw it in the scripture, then I was able to embrace it. And so it's the Holy Spirit that moves the church and that reveals the word so there can be movement. So Isaiah 44, 3, this is one of the foundational scriptures for tonight. I will pour water on him who is thirsty. This is a prophecy from, through Isaiah. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass, one like willows by the water courses. One will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call himself by the name of Jacob, Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of the Lord. And so when I read this oh, a couple months ago when I was teaching, I just said to myself, um, wow, that's, that explains what we've been doing in the Bible schools. Because where there's a water course, the willows spring up. And the willows say, here I am. I'm, I'm going to be called by the name of the Lord. I'm going to move with the Lord. And so it's where that river is flowing that, that new life comes and that God raises up generations that will serve him and will follow him. The flowing of the Spirit or the moving of God's Spirit, this is, this is um, my, I'm not going to say it's a theory because I've actually proved it out. This is what I learned after years in a Bible school. It's that flowing of the river that sometimes people get too close and they actually fall in and they end up moving with God when they didn't even know where God was going, but it's because there's a movement of Holy Spirit. In John 7, 
You're probably familiar with this scripture. In 37, I'm going to read from the Passion. Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted out to the crowds, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. And so the passion has a note there that says, shall flow from his throne within. So remember in Revelation 22, it talks about this river that's flowing from the throne of God. And it says there are trees on either side of the river, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And so Jesus said, this I'm talking about, this river that's flowing out of your innermost being that also comes from the throne of God that produces trees that produce healing, he says, this I'm speaking by the Spirit. And it says there in John, who wasn't given yet because Jesus had not yet been crucified, but he has been given now. And so the, the, the Spirit, the river Jesus was talking about, we call that um, the outflow of the of the presence of God whereas the the well he was talking about in John 4 is like a drinking fountain so you have eternal life you have a well of water springing up within that's for you to drink you and you have that eternally you're not going to lose that if you're saved you have this well on the inside but Jesus said out of your innermost being from the throne of God will flow a river <laughs> So what do rivers do? They water other things. The river is to water the land so that the, the willows can spring up by the water course. And so it's very important, I believe, in our day, we, we all are looking at what's going on worldwide, and we kind of look through our natural eyes and we go like, oh my gosh, I just can't believe what's happening? Where, where, where is this taking us? Where are we going to go? But when we put the spiritual lens on, we know exactly where we are. We put the spiritual lens on and we say, oh, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I pour out my spirit. This is that that Isaiah said, multitudes will come flooding to the house of God, to the mountain of God. This is that giant that rose up from the earth all covered with debris and it was the church and began to go about and work miracles and work wonders okay so we have this whole way of seeing by the spirit that helps us to know where we're at but see god he's been working since jesus was resurrected actually since jesus was born and the redeemer came god has been working toward the restoration of all things Peter preached about it in Acts chapter 3. The time of restoration of all things is at hand. What does that mean? I almost want to ask Maddie what that means because she probably knows. These kids know a lot. You know, there was a Garden of Eden where there was no knowledge of evil, just good. And then <laughs> Satan deceived Adam and Eve. So Jesus came to crush the serpent's head and to restore everything that was lost in the fall. And Peter said, he, God, is bringing a restoration of that back, okay? So if people ask you, you know, if God's really real, why is all this bad stuff happening? Because Satan has not yet been thrown in the lake of fire, but he's going to be. 
And there's a time for that, and we're approaching that time. We don't know when that time is, but we know that we're going to be ready in our time to do what God calls us to do in our time, okay? So God has been looking at this plan from Jesus, when he appointed time when Jesus came, till now at one church made up of many members, living through many centuries, but with one goal, to bring us to that time. Now, every generation, new things have been unfolding. Let's see my scripture, Isaiah 43, 19. You know this one. God said, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Will you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so every century, every generation, God's been revealing more of himself. And I'm going to give you a real cap encapsulated church history because I really love history, but I'm, I'm, I can't dwell on it. I wish you could learn more because really, you know, through every age, God has opened up more of his truth. It's like um, the Bible calls it the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, the capital D day. Well, every generation, God, it's like the rising of the sun. We're seeing more and more. We have more knowledge of the word today than any generation in the church before us. And, and I could prove to you if we were having a class on this that whether it be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation, prosperity, healing, all of these doctrines have been unfolded. They, weren't, they were known in the early church, but they were hidden afterwards and have been unfolded by God. And so he's trying to reveal more of himself so that, that we, the church, can look like him. Pastor Mark read it this morning in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being changed into the same likeness. Okay, so God is bringing us now in our generation, in our time, oh, I, people in the past have experienced his presence, no doubt. But we are living in a time where corporate, large groups of people are experiencing that presence like never before. With the worship revival, we're, we're living in times when glory, literally, heaven is opening over gatherings of people, okay? So this is the day we live in. Now, in the early church, they experienced that. But, but as shortly after that, they were persecuted because no one, the, the, the Romans didn't believe in it. But when the Roman emperor, Constantinople, was, was um, converted, after that, really was launched into what we call the Dark Ages. And the, the Catholic Church was the, the universal church, but there was just darkness and corruption in the church, and no one knew the Word of God. The priests preached in Latin, and so they were kind of at a loss because whatever the priest said, that's what they did. And pretty soon the priests are saying, if you want your mother to get out of purgatory and get in heaven, give us some money. <laughs> so th they got quite a bit off. And during that time, there was lack of knowledge, lack of arts, just darkness, even war, famine, and pandemics. Just reading about the bubonic plague, do you know that during that dark ages, when the bubonic plague hit, six out of every 10 people died. 
talk about a bad experience, you know? And they didn't know anything about germs, so praise God, we know about germs. That's why we're wearing masks and things like that. But, you know, can you imagine after six out of every 10 people died, um, there, there came the next time, that was from about 500 to 1500, then came what we call the Renaissance, which was the rebirth of knowledge, of art, of music, of beauty, of exploration. Explorers were going all over the world and discovering new things. And, and this uh, Renaissance, during this time also, was inventions. And the printing press was invented, which suddenly made, that's like the social media of our day. Can you imagine a world where no one could communicate and suddenly there was printing press? and they can publish the Bible, and they can publish tracts and notes and send them around and, and change people's thinking with communication, with media. And so that was a, just a small example of what's happening now with the internet and social media. We're in a huge time of change again. But it concurrent with the Renaissance came the Reformation with Martin Luther and other monks that were living in monasteries suddenly Martin Luther is the one we, we credit, but he was just one of many. All over the world, God was opening people's eyes during the rebirth to read his word, and Martin Luther was a monk who was reading the word and said, wait a minute, this doesn't say anything about, you know, paying the church for salvation. This doesn't say anything about our works, actually. It says we are saved by grace. And so that was what started the branch off of the Protestant from the Catholic Church. So Luther started what we call the Lutheran Church. And then after that, and we're fast-forwarding through centuries, we have the Wesley brothers, John and Charles, who were young men. Now listen, what I'm telling you guys is these were not old, learned professors. <laughs> these were young men. The Luther brothers were college age. And, and they began to say, you know what? We're saved by grace. We know that. But, you know, grace isn't, isn't a license to sin. Like Pastor was preaching this morning, grace should be empowerment to do good works. So what we call the holiness movement was birthed out of that where they said we shouldn't just believe. We should do something. We should go to the prisons. We should uh, help the poor. And, and they were called Methodists because they had a method their method was you got to do pray every day, you got to visit the prison, you got to go here, you got to go there. And so they the Methodist Church started and believe it or not the Methodist Church in its day was frontline holy spirit world changers. These guys had to preach. They look kind of old in this picture, but they had to, <laughs> they had to preach out in fields cuz no one would let them in the church. You know what they told them? You're too enthusiastic too emotional. We just want to read our dusty old sermons. But see, they brought a revival because they generated movement and actually discovered what it really meant to be saved. After we get up here to, that was 17 to 1800. Now we get to 1900. This is the exciting part. And so in 1900, we're all, I think most of us, how many of you have heard of Azusa? Azusa is like what we Westerners call the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that happened in around 1904. 
But I have studied enough about other cultures to learn that it wasn't just in Azusa. <laughs> it was in Wales, it was in China, it was in India. There was, a, there was literally an outpouring all over the earth in that turn of the century, 1900, where God was moving People were going across the earth to find somewhere where God was moving so they could carry it back to their place. And yes, Azusa was the pinnacle of it. Did I write this quote in my notes? Oh, I, I guess I'll read it when I get to that lady. But it's, there was a, a multi-generational, multinational move of the Spirit of God which ushered us into the century of 1900 to 2000. Well, now we're in 2020. <laughs> so this is our time. You see, some generations during that time and some nations dropped the ball of the movement and the church died out. The nation of Turkey used to be Asia Minor, which in, in Acts 19 says that all of Asia heard the word of God during Paul's first Bible school. But now it's it's less than 3% Christian. So what happened? It, they lost their fire. They lost their revelation. They didn't keep the movement going. And so, guys, we're in our day now where it's important that what God's doing continue. I'm sure you, some of you have heard me say this because I often say it, but if, if I were to take off from Hong Kong now in a plane to fly or take off from L.A. to fly to Hong Kong, if we were a little bit off target at the beginning of the flight, it wouldn't matter so much because we have like 14 hours to correct the course. But when we're about to land in Hong Kong, <laughs> we better be on target or we're going to crash and burn. And so it's like that where we are in time now. We're in a time right now where us as a church has got to, it's, I feel like it's more critical than ever that we hear and we know what, we do what it takes to move him and to be positioned for him. And so I want to make it clear that God is a God of increase. God has a plan to move, but God needs a people who will move with him. Something that I wanted to mention here that you may not know, are you familiar with um, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea? Yeah, we're all familiar with him, but we may not be familiar with the fact that his great-grandparents were Christians who were involved in the revival in Pyongyang, I think it's called, their capital city, in 1909. So there was a great revival in Korea in, in the early 1900s, concurrent with Azusa, and his great-grandparents, particularly his great-grandmother, was a very faithful Christian. What happened was they had a son that not only didn't carry that tradition on, but actually turned about face and began to say, I'm the son of God, <laughs> worship me. And that has carried down to his son and to his son. Now I say that for prayer purposes because we, there are seeds in people's lives. We live our lives, our, our life, Christ is in us, when I pour my life out for the sake of the gospel, it is the same as when Jesus poured his out. And when he poured his out, he made a way for us to get to heaven. And when people go in a nation and give their life and pour their life out, it literally makes a bridge 
for people to be saved. And so we can pray for um, Kim Jong-un and his sister that those seeds of prayer that the great-grandmother prayed will begin to spring up and bear fruit. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> Apostle Paul was knocked flat on the road to Damascus. The same thing could happen to this one. Isaiah 8, and, and actually I wanted to read a lot of this, but I, I, I don't have time or, or focus here. But in Isaiah 8, 16, it says, Preserve the teaching of God, entrust his instructions to those who follow. And then in verse 18 of Isaiah 8, Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And it goes on in verse 21 to say people who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They go from one place to another, weary and hungry, and rage and curse their God. So listen, we and our children are for signs and wonders. We, my generation, says amen. My kids' generation says amen, but my grandkids' generation needs to say amen too. We are, you guys are for signs and wonders. Amen? Whether you believe it or not, God has called and appointed you. Jesus trusts us and has entrusted us with this time and this generation of his purpose. And so the burden in my heart is that we understand the times and that we, we, our children, understand the times for the eyes of the Lord are looking, ready to show himself strong to anyone who says, here, I am Lord. You know, God, whenever he wants to do something, he doesn't look for a committee. He doesn't look for a team, really. Scripturally, he looks for one. But it's never just about one. God is looking for one heart who will say, here I am. And God is able to take the, the least likely people and make them extraordinary. The ordinary people become extraordinary. This is actually his hallmark. This is what he does. He redeems things that the devil destroyed and he makes them beautiful. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns shame into glory. He turns graves into gardens. He turns seas into highways. Like that song says, he, he raises up armies from dead bones. And so nobody has an excuse to say, who me, what could I do? And so I love Hebrews 11.3, and I'm sure you've heard this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, so most people think that means like we understand that God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And, and it does mean that to a degree. But the word worlds in this scripture does not mean the, the, the physical earth. It means ages of time. It's eons of time. And so my translation here is that I write this down? I already know how to say it. So, yeah, the worlds with ages of time, by faith, we understand that the ages of time were framed, that means shaped, brought into alignment by the word of God so that what we see 
didn't come from visible things. It came from the invisible. Okay, so God has shaped history by looking for people who said, here I am, God, and giving them words and giving them calls that they took a hold of and embraced with all their heart. They may have not had the power to do it, the ability to do it, but they didn't need power ability. They just needed to say yes. They only needed obedience, and God would do the rest. So faith shapes history. I remember when my, my son was in this international school and he was studying um, history, I think it was, and he came home with this book about religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, and, and my, my hackles got up. I said, why are you guys studying Hinduism and Buddhism? He says, well, mom, because, you know, in these regions of the world, this is what shaped these cultures. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. So you see, believing shapes culture. And God wants to shape culture. He, he is shaping our culture, but he wants to shape history by us saying yes and doing the exploits that he has for us to do. God is able to do it, but not without his church. He's depending upon us. So the vision is generated in heaven, but it's, it's given to each one of us for God's purpose. And when we say yes, it's amazing what God is able to do. And so, remember Hebrews eleven eight. by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, though he didn't know where he was going. It feels like that sometimes with God. It feels like that as a missionary. When, when you say yes, and you're headed out somewhere that you don't know where you're going, and I remember, you know, 22 years ago, thinking I was just jumping off into a, a I mean, I was so afraid, I didn't even study where I was going, except for, I saw postcards of natives with paint on their face, and I just thought I was going in those tribes, I didn't know. Instead, I landed in a pit of garbage. <laughs> it was a, my, a city, not a, ju not a jungle with people with paint, but when we arrived in Manila, it was so hot and it smelled so bad all the time that I was literally sick to my stomach for like three days thinking, what have I done? Oh, but if you could see it now, <laughs> and if you could know the people I know, and if you could see what God's done in 20 years, not just through me, but through people who said yes. It's, it, is, it is awesome and amazing. So God has a plan and God wants to reveal that plan to you. I want to just highlight, I think I have time here, sure, some people, okay? I like to tell stories. And you, I know that you youth know this first one, Joseph. All of these people I'm going to highlight were people who were young. You know, Joseph was just a kid, a teenager probably, when he was thrown in that pit by his brothers. And yet, even though he was a captive and even though he was imprisoned and even though he was falsely accused, Joseph had a gift. And Joseph's particular gift was administration. He was a leader. He was able to make plans to preserve a whole culture. And so God used Joseph's obedience to save his people during a time of famine. And so he was just a young person. Then we have Daniel. You guys all know Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They were youth. 
and they were carried away captive, again, like Joseph, bound up, carried to um, Persia or wherever it was. Some Bible scholar knows. I think it was Persia. Yeah. And so look at the picture. You know, they weren't compromising. And Daniel was a prayer. So Daniel knew the will of God. And the will of God, God had a purpose for them in that adverse culture. And you guys know what happened through the whole. And, and listen, this is when they're young. Daniel was old when he was thrown in the lion's den. But he never changed. God had a plan for his life. And Daniel, as a young person, said yes, and God was able to use them to prepare the hearts of those people to preserve the Jews, God's people. Then we have David. Everybody knows David. He's one of our favorite characters. David, the son that wasn't even remembered. Go get all your sons, Jesse, says Samuel. I'm coming to, find, to anoint one. Is it this one? Is it this one? This one looks good. No, 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 says God. Finally, Samuel says, don't you have any more sons? Oh, well, actually, yes. I do have one more. I didn't even think to bring him. He's just the little one that stays out with the sheep. But David, out there with the sheep, knew his God enough that he was able to face that giant Goliath when his big brothers were cowering in fear. David was anointed to be a warrior. See, I'm showing you different people who had different gifts because we don't all have the same gift, but we all have the same God who is able to multiply the gift he's given us. The next one is Mary. Mary, wow, I love Mary because she literally conceived the plan of salvation, the Son of God, by faith. You know, it says in Hebrews 11, Sarah conceived Isaac by faith. So I believe Mary, when she saw the angel and he said, you're going to get pregnant, she had to have an agreement, and she did, yes, be it done unto me. But, but she literally had to believe the word of God, okay? Faith, um, it, by faith we understand that the ages of time were shaped framed and brought into alignment by the word of God. So Jesus was literally the word, but God is still speaking words to people. God spoke a word to me, or I never would have taken off to what I thought was that inhabited jungle that turned out to just be really hot and smelly for a while. It's very nice there now. But see, Mary just spent her whole call as a mom. She, what, what her job was, was, ta was raising a son, raising children. And so it doesn't matter if you're called to the pulpit to, to say, like, I want to be part of the move of God. Now I'm going to take you into history. Here's where well, you saw John and Charles Wesley. I already talked about them. But they were brothers, and, and John preached, but Charles wrote the songs. We still sing songs that Charles wrote. One of them I know is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, our Christmas tune, and A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So Charles wrote songs. That this was the worship movement of the 1700s, going probably from organ. Well, it probably still was organ music, but, they, but Charles was writing songs that spoke what John was preaching so that between the, the presence of the God and the confession of worship and the word, hearts were changed. And, and I don't have time to go into their life story, but it's amazing. 
It's awesome what they did. And their mom, Susanna, who, who had how many kids? Like 13, I think. And she spent personal time every week with each one. Now, these are not people that you don't know about. You can read these people's journals. It's all online. You can read Susanna Wesley's journal. So what I'm teaching you tonight is not hearsay. Remember Pastor Mark this morning about the, the river guides making stuff up? <laughs> I'm not making stuff up because what I'm telling you now, lately I've been into reading people's journals. I hear the history from teachers and books, but I want to hear what they said. And their book, their testimonies are in writing that you can read. So next one I want to show you, and this one's a hero, William Carey. Now, he looks old here because we don't have any pictures of him when he was young. But he went to India when he was 24. And he went to India when the church didn't even believe that missionaries were supposed to go to the heathen. He had this man, he went to tell a man what was in his heart. I do have this quote. And he said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. <laughs> when God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. So that was the response he got when he went to an elder to tell him, I want to go to India. Young man, sit down. Don't be so enthusiastic. God can do this without you and me. Well, God, Jesus can't move in the earth without his body. Jesus can't preach the gospel without a mouth. Well, praise God, William Carey went, and he had teams of people that went. But the thing I love about William Carey is that he literally changed the entire culture of India. There, there is a book that I read where he changed the legal system by banishing sati, which was the burning of the widows of the Hindus. He changed the economic system by starting the first savings bank and teaching people to save. He, he changed um, the agriculture by teaching them how to not destroy their forests. So what I'm saying is God calls people to transform nations. And William Carey was just one. But he had a great impact uh, Ann Judson, gosh, I just read her journal. First, first Protestant American missionary to be sent in the early 1800s. This couple reached a tribe in Burma. I had two students in my school in Nepal from Burma, and they told me there's only one tribe in Burma that believes in Jesus, and it's because of one, one man. And it turns out to be them. So you see, God planted seeds in a tribe in Burma that is still bearing fruit to this day because these she, she died after she had three babies and her baby died. Their stories are hard because they were pioneering. Our stories are not that as hard because they made a way for us. Okay, and I'm running out of time, but I love these stories. Pandita Ramabai, this is... This is the lady that started a revival in a girl's school in India before Azusa Street. She had a girl's school. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They were having laughing sessions. They were going about bringing healing. It was a move of God, and people even from America went there to find out what was going on. And so um, God, all she did was say, here am I, God, use me. Dora Yu, I love this, she became a doctor. She's Chinese. 
She too was involved in the revival in the early 1900s. She went to medical school. She ended up starting the first Bible school in Shanghai and um, in, in training leaders. And she was self-supported. She raised her own support. And so she was touching people through the medical field, which many missionaries did in that day. So lastly, I want to show um, the modern day. <laughs> this is a Hmong and a Nung, my students. A Hmong is the guy. He came to our Bible school and then ended up being on our staff for four years. He married a Nung. She was our highest student of the year, her year. They're from Nagaland, India. Their tribe is headhunters. But for Mary and William Clark, who went there in the late 1800s, went into headhunter region and converted the headhunters, and now they live in that northeast part of India that's almost all Christian. And so these people spent 40 years in Nagaland. It reminds me of Hebrews 11. Time will fail to tell me to tell of this one and that one and this one and that one who did this and that and that and this and these great exploits. There are nameless, faceless people and people whose journals you can read who said yes to God and God used their insignificant lives to change history. This is me with a Hmong and a Nung at New Life in the Philippines where they were um, a, a, a commission to start a church in Nagaland. And so what the Clarks started, these guys are carrying on in that nation. And so my purpose tonight in sharing this with you is what does this mean for us? What, what, is, what is God calling us to do? And, and let's not, I guess I like to think of the church worldwide because I know Among and Anang and Sandish and Raju and Makesh and Amrita who are going to be with our pastors tonight teaching. And there's people all over the world, pastors in Peru, serving God. But, but we're here. What does God want us to do? And you're here specifically, what does God want you to do? And are you willing to say, God, use me. God, show me what moves your heart. Without that passion and that movement of the Holy Spirit, the church in our nation won't survive. But, but I won't look at that side because we're here, and we do have the moving of the Holy Spirit here. Amen? And so we are not those who shrink back, but we have people who have gone before us, have given their very lives planted their, their seeds in the soil so that now in this time of the moving of God's spirit, all of those seeds are springing up in the nations. And our nation is no different. Amen? There are seeds to be planted, there are seeds to be watered, and there are harvests to reap, plants that are full-grown, ready to reap. And so, hallelujah. First of all, I want to pray. And Lord, I pray right now, as I've just tried to share some stories, stories of ordinary people that, that you anointed, I pray right now, Lord, over everyone here, and our, we lift our hearts up to you, and we say, Lord, what is it that you would have us do? And especially 
for the younger generation today, I want to ask you, what do you say? Because you may not know what your parents know or what your pastors know, but you do know the one who lives inside of you. And you do know that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so, Lord, there is a new generation that you're raising up. There is a wave and a move of your spirit in this day that is enveloping, that is carrying your people into the future. And we are not those who step back in fear, but we are those who say, here we are, Lord. We release our lives into your river. Amen. And so... I want to make about three different, different calls here. First of all, particularly young people, but not exclusively, because God, your, your time never runs out. I love that. What Pastor Mark, I think he said that this morning, is like, it's never too late. Or we were singing that first service. It's never too late. It's never too late. So I am in no way implying that older people don't have a call because God needs our wisdom. God needs our faithfulness. God needs our testimony. God needs what we have to be transmitted to the next generation. But if you're in here tonight, everybody close your eyes. And if you're, um, let's just say, under 30, and if you just aren't sure what God has, but you say, here I am, Lord, I want to be a, a history maker. I want to be, I want to live life to, to the fullest of what you've called me to live. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand because I want to agree with you. I want, and not only me, but all of us in here are going to agree with you. This is the time. Now is the hour. More of your presence, Lord more of your power. And so look upon these hands, Father. And I just draw a circle around each one, and we say, Lord, here am I. Lord, I pray right now. Thank you for that young girl. God, God, we, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your word to step out upon in this hour. And so you have eyes that look upon hearts. Look upon these hearts and see those who say, here am I, Lord, use me. Huh? Just sitting here a minute in, the, in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for touching. Thank you, Lord, for changing. Thank you for rearranging things in their lives so that they can step forward. And thank you, Lord, for the word that sharpens them and trains them and leads them so that we can go forth in boldness. Now, for the, the rest of you, let us commit to moving with the Spirit of God Lord, there may be one, a young one or an, a, a neighbor that you just want us to touch. And Lord, when we talk about the Spirit generating power, we're talking about a personal Holy Spirit on the inside that, that has 
that knows the, knows the future and knows the hearts of people and will lead and guide and direct us. And so right now, Lord, we pray for more, more, more of your spirit, more of your power, more of your presence in this very hour, more revelation and more knowledge, too, to go forth from this place to do what you have called us to do as an individual and as a church, too. We declare, Lord, we will follow you. Thank you, Jesus. And now we pray. I pray, Lord, for you to touch hearts of the young people in this church. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't be ignorant of your purposes, that they wouldn't be looking through that lens that's like, oh, what's going on? No, but they would be looking through a lens that sees what you see. You guys, if you're, if you're um, Generation Z, if you know what that is, stand up. What is that, guys? Like, just say 18 and under. Stand up. Now, as these guys stand up, let's stretch our faith toward them. We're not going to make you do anything. Don't be afraid. We just want to pray for you. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these. Thank you for this generation. We call them blessed. We call them anointed. We call them appointed. We call them called out. You have, they have come into life at this time and place for your purposes, for your kingdom. And so right now, we, we set a seal about them, and we say, Lord, they, these are our children. They are for signs and wonders. The children you've given us, they are for signs and wonders. And so they will not turn to the left and they will not turn to the right, but they will order their steps toward you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are able to bring that to pass in Jesus' name. And all of you young people said, amen. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Amen. Do you believe it? Five minutes. Wow, I'm just listening on the... You know what? I really want to pray for you. Will you please come up here, young people? And any of you older ones that want hands, but no, just join me with praying for these guys. Thank you, Lord. Are you embarrassed, Lauren? <laughs> what grandmas do weird things? Aren't you glad I'm not your grandma? No. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jonathan, you want to come and just stand behind them? and Or you, anyone on your youth team? Anyone on your youth team? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to put this mic down. For these young ones, because they're the future of God's movement. Amen. Thank you for your attention. And I just speak a blessing on you and on this church. Thank you, Lord, for what you've called us together and corporately to do. And every one of those young, young adults that raised their hand, expect God to give you direction. Expect to know more. Be a, be a prayerful person, and God's going to download stuff. And for us older ones, we're going to just encourage them and, and give them the, the, the yes behind them to go forward. Amen. So thank you again, and thanks to Pastor Mark and Tasha, Lord. We pray for them for the great impact 
on the Church of Nepal and beyond tonight and this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you give her a hand? Good word. I love church history as well. Amen. Hey, I was just thinking that reminds me of a scripture. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. So he's calling you, but not only that, he wants to equip us. He wants to equip you. And so, amazing. And here am I. Send me. Amen. So examine your own hearts. I mean, in this day and age, it's so important. As technology keeps getting more and more advanced, as much of a blessing it is, it's numbing the culture. And we need people to rise up and say, hey, we got a job to do. And I believe that God's going to make the calling more real and more clear to everyone because I think we have such a limited view and we sometimes just think, well, that's the minister's job or, you know, I don't know if I could, you know, stand behind this pulpit and preach. That's just such a small fraction. You know, actually the church is called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So you're called to go out. I mean, people, you know, Pastor Mark and and ministers who fill this pulpit, our, our job is to train you and you go out. And you do what God's called you to do. And so, you know, just tagging on to what Miss Tony said, I believe that the call of God is going to be clear. It's going to be revealed to all generations. But we got a job to do. And so God's looking for hearts that are committed, and he's looking to strengthen. Um, so it's good news. Hey, amen? All right. Um, just a reminder, next Sunday night, we're having our worship night. So I hope to see everybody that was here tonight. I hope to see you back next week. We're going to have a worship night. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. I believe that the Spirit of God is going to move and show up and show off. And even I'm, I'm not placing any type of expectations, but I'm coming expecting, if that makes sense. Amen. So whatever he wants to do, he'll do. Next week at 6 p.m., be in this building. It's going to be a really good time. Um, remember, download the app, listen to the podcast. I would encourage, listen, listen to her message another time on the podcast. You never get enough word. Amen? All right. Why don't you guys stand up? And uh, we'll just say this as we go. Say, what God did in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Far, exceeds far exceeds any damage done to me Amen. by Adam's fall. All right. You guys could be dismissed. Have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, There'll be an altar worker up here, I think. Yep. Um, And they'd love to pray with you. Thank you, guys.